This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I don't know the truth. to Factually. I'm Adam Conover. Let's start with a couple pieces of housekeeping. If you are shocked and horrified by some of the events of the last week, I am right there with you. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us that we do everything that we can to push back against the wave of hatred against Asian Americans and other marginalized communities that we've seen over the past year. If you're looking for someplace to donate, I know that you've probably seen Lots of lots of lists where to donate to help out. I'll tell you where I chose to donate. I chose to donate to Red Canary Song and to Asian Americans Advancing Justice in Atlanta, two groups that support the rights of sex workers and of Asian Americans, respectively, in Atlanta and around the country. Uh, And just as a little addendum, there's been a lot of talk once again about sex addiction (laughs) this past week as though sex addiction were an excuse for the hateful, violent, racist behavior that we saw, and as though it were even something that exists in the way that many people think it does. Um, If you're curious to hear more about that, you might go back and listen to the interview I did with Nicole Prouse a few months ago uh, titled The Myth of Sex Addiction. Uh, You can find that in our archives wherever you get your podcasts. Now, on a different note, uh, I do want to remind you that we are doing a special set of premium episodes for Stitcher Premium called Questions and Adam. It's a fantastic name, I know, uh, in which I and a comedian guest take your questions and answer them. If you want to listen to those episodes, you can subscribe at Stitcher Premium. And if you want to send us some questions for us to answer, and please send them even if you don't subscribe to Stitcher Premium. I want to see your questions. You can send them to factually at adamconover.net. I truly do read the emails, and your question truly might be answered on the show. Now, with that, let's talk about this week's show. We are flooded with misinformation in our society right now, from commercials to partisan media to straight up lies proliferating on social media. It seems like there is just an avalanche of false information deluging over our eyeballs and into our brains every single moment of every single day. And the response to this, what we often are told that we need is more media literacy. Media literacy. We need to teach people how to sift good information from bad information. They need to be more literate about the media that they consume. Now, by any measure, we are not doing a very good job of teaching media literacy. A 2016 study found that 80% of middle schoolers couldn't tell the difference between a real news story and sponsored advertiser content. We're teaching kids how to read, but we're not teaching them how to not read bullshit, basically. And this is a problem because having the skill to figure out what is true, to separate true from false, is incredibly important. In a democracy, it's important that the populace believes true things and doesn't believe false things in order to make educated decisions. 
if everyone believes that drinking clean water is bad for you and oil spills are good for you, we might have some bad public policy decisions made. That might be detrimental to our society. We fundamentally need the inside of our heads to match what is going on outside of our heads. And critically, we need most people to agree on what is going on outside of their heads. If citizens in a democracy are operating under completely different ideas of reality, if they can't agree on even the most basic things, you get an increasingly fractious and conflict-ridden society. You get pretty much the society that we're living in right now, is what I'm trying to say. And so... There's a lot of talk about how to fight this, and media literacy comes up again and again. We should teach people to think critically and do their own research. We hear that over and over again, don't we? If we just teach people to think harder, to think critically, to do their own research, well, that could solve the problem. Here's the problem, though. We are starting to realize that those things might not actually work and, in fact, could be counterproductive. Let's take that idea of Doing your own research, for example. You know, when I was a kid, doing your own research meant going to the library, finding a book, hey, maybe even asking a reference librarian who could lead you to the most established experts on the topic, who could give you a quick overview of the subject matter, all of that good stuff, right? Now, though, doing your own research for most people means opening a browser window, going to a search engine, and reading some random shit on the internet. You just type in those search terms and see what you get, and... Start reading that WikiHow article or TikTok or whatever it is that comes up. <laughs> the cliche of telling someone to, quote, do their own research is an easy way, we now know, to actually lead someone further into misinformation. They might fall for something untrue or they might seek out information that confirms their previous belief, right? They search for are vaccines dangerous and end up on the vaccine conspiracy sites because that's what they were looking for. The fact is, if we just tell random members of the public who are not experts in the field or are even trained in research skills to, quote, do their own research, we can end up sending them to more bullshit sites, giving the lies home field advantage. Or what about the call for critical thinking, where we tell people when they're confronted with information they're not sure about, they should look at it super closely and really try to figure out are there statistical errors or are there lies embedded in the text? Well, that can be just as counterproductive, and it certainly isn't always an antidote to misinformation. See, what recent research tells us is that the more time you spend digging into misinformation, the more time you spend reading it closely, really looking between the lines, well the more time you're giving it to worm its way into your brain. Misinformation wants access to your brain. That is what it is. It is basically a zombie that's trying to get in there and eat your brain and turn you into a zombie too, okay? So combating it doesn't mean thinking harder or better about misinformation. It means something else entirely, controlling our attention so that misinformation doesn't get too much of it. But so how do we do this? How do we deal with misinformation? And most critically, how do we teach others? How do we teach young people to combat misinformation? Well, to help answer, our guest today is Michael Caulfield. He's a digital information literacy expert at Washington State University, and he did the research on critical thinking that I was just telling you about. And he has a veritable cornucopia of misinformation fighting techniques and ideas to share with you today. I found this interview fascinating, and I know you will too. Please welcome Michael Caulfield. Michael, thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. So you study and you write about misinformation. 
you write specifically that critical thinking isn't enough to tackle misinformation. What do you mean by that? <laughs> okay. Well, that's a, that's a whole can of worms to, to, to start. Oh, with. we're jumping right into it. Michael. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I, I mean, let's, let's, let's uh, put a, 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 an important qualifier on that critical thinking, you know, as currently taught. Right. And, and uh, to get into what I mean by that, it might be best to just talk about how I got into this. Uh, Please. Back, back in 2010, um, I was working for uh, a small college and we decided that we wanted to have outcomes where students would learn what we were calling civic digital literacies. And, mm-hmm. and one of those was critical consumption. Can they tell what's, you know, true and false on the Internet? Can they tell what's reliable and unreliable on the Internet? Can they do that? Right. Uh, and so we decided to assess these. And so we, we went through the normal training with the, the students, uh, so a, a model called CRAP, which I'm not a fan of currently, uh, <laughs> but a model called CRAP, two A's in that. Uh, and um, at the end, we assessed them uh, as to whether they got any better at it. And they didn't get better at it. <laughs> in fact, huh. in some ways, they got worse, right? Um, and the, when I say critical thinking isn't helping us with misinformation, I'm talking about the sort of thing that's usually done uh, in a, in a university environment, a lot of times in a K-12 environment, and where critical thinking is associated with something washes up in front of you, some sort of document, uh, video, something like that. And the idea of critical thinking, as we're often taught it, is, well, look very deeply at this thing. Like, examine it. Turn it around in your hands. Figure out, you know, does this document use scholarly language? Does it have footnotes? What, you know, what's the logical argument of it? Uh, th- these sorts of things. And we, when we do that, what we're doing is we're immediately pushing people to deeply engage with something mm-hmm. when they have no idea what the provenance of it is, no idea yeah. where it came from. And additionally, uh, they don't necessarily know where in sort of the universe of discourse and the universe of claims, right. this particular claim stands is, you know, I'm not saying that nobody should adopt a minority viewpoint. And that was one of the misperceptions of a recent article. I have a lot of uh, viewpoints that are probably minority viewpoints in, in a discipline, but I have to know to start, Hey, you know, the majority of this discipline actually disagrees with you. Like it's important Mm -hmm. for me to understand where I've landed. Right. And so when I say critical thinking doesn't help this idea that we are going to uh, solve misinformation by getting people to pay deeper attention to every piece of information that washes up in front of them, it's not sustainable because mm-hmm. you don't have that much attention. Or that I, much time or, or that, that much, much expertise. Time, right. Yeah. And you're also giving you're also giving disinformers what they want, which is your deep attention. You're giving you're mm-hmm. giving them a shot. You're giving them an, an, an audition, right? Uh, and so right. we have to move away from this um, as sort of the first step. After you figure out where something is has come from, right? After you figure out, hey, this is where this claim sort of sits in, in the universal discourse. Hey, this is uh, the, the strengths or weaknesses of this particular source. Uh, then maybe you choose to go in deeper, right? But but we're 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 too often we're skipping that first step and we're immediately reacting and engaging in the way we teach students to uh, you know quote unquote critically think is actually telling them that that's that's what we want to do and we and, yeah. and we want we want to get away from that like if you uh, this makes a lot of sense like if you if you're confronting for the first time especially if you're a young person you're 17 years old you find some website on the Kennedy assassination that says he was assassinated by aliens or whatever and then you're like okay think critically about it really look carefully at it and you have never 
you you actually have never read the mainstream history of JFK. You don't know the general dialogue around the conspiracy theories. All you're going to do is look at this one source closer that could actually pull you in a little bit. You're like, okay, yeah. I'll look at it really close. Oh, wow. It seems to, well, I don't know about this part, but it's this part makes sense and you might get sucked so, in a little bit. So one of the things we do is we we pre and we post-test students when uh, mm-hmm. when we run them through uh the, the the different sort of training we do, which I, I guess we'll talk about a, a little bit later. But um, what we see in the pretest is a lot of students simply apply what we would call a plausibility test. Does this seem like something that would happen? And, and uh, <clears throat> while that is good if you have experience in an area, right, you're, you're pretty good at determining the plausibility of things that you're intimately familiar with, uh, is not really good when things are sort of outside your realm of experience. So, I mean, yeah. if, I, if I was to ask you, does it seem plausible that most vaccines take five, six, ten years to develop and this vaccine takes one year to do it? Does that seem plausible to you? Well, <laughs> why would you think that you would have the ability to judge the plausibility, you have no experience with with uh, with vaccines, vaccine developments, uh, no deep knowledge of why one vaccine would take five years. Right. What that time. And yet you're told, hey, critically think about this, critically think about this. Mm-hmm. And you're simply not equipped for a question of that complexity until uh, until you get a, a, little, a little more basis in, in the reasons behind it. But yet again, uh, this is what we see that students are. And they think that this is critical thinking. They they think uh, they think uh, you know one of the things we see from a lot of students is this. Well, if it had ha- if this had happened, I would have heard about it already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is one of the big plausibility checks that students. Yeah, and that works for a lot of things. Like you know, honestly, like you know, look if if you know if a bomb had just gone off in New York, you would have heard about it. That's that's true, but yeah, um, it also causes students to discount. Uh, a lot of things that are true, right? I right. Mean, uh, you know, because a lot of true, important things happen that we don't hear about. That we don't That's hear about. That's one of the problems right? with the news. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so so you know, you, you you can apply that same logic, and you can say, look, if families were really being separated at the border like this, obviously everybody would be talking about this, and and you can dismiss it in that way. So so this sort of a double edged sword here with plausibility. But the key to plausibility is you're not really great at assessing the plausibility of things that you don't have familiarity with. Yeah. <laughs> so seems like a simple point. Uh, I mean, this is a great. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> As we're talking about this, it's starting to overwhelm me, like the magnitude of the challenge that, yeah. you know, we're faced with online, not just online, in our entire media ecosystem of being constantly confronted with false claims or dubious claims or, uh, you know, angles, uh, takes that are, uh, you know, have some ulterior motive behind them. And the challenge for the average person to weed through them is enormous, especially when you still got to eat and, you know, brush your teeth <laughs> right. and, and make a living. Uh, <laughs> do you feel the same way? I mean, yeah, well, yeah I, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I think it's, um, I think it's made even worse by there's a sort of, uh, moral belief that we hold, um, that we, we need to have an opinion on everything, you know, that, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if you ask somebody, Hey, what's your opinion on this? And someone says, yeah, honestly, I, I don't know. 
Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you know that, that that's somehow that's somehow less than. But but honestly, a lot of times we don't know, right? Yeah. Uh, and we're probably and this gets into a, a whole sort of different thing, uh, maybe than than critical thinking. But uh, you know, it's okay. It's okay not to know, right? It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to realize, you know, that that, that you don't know. Uh, and so uh, there's there's this idea that we we should have have an opinion and we should be forming opinions on everything relatively instantly. This is of course exacerbated by social media where uh, social media is 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 uh you know a a a bf skinner like process where a bunch of things are thrown in front of you and you're supposed to immediately sort of weigh in do i like this do i retweet this do i ignore this and yeah. that sort of thing and and so so you get into the you get into this uh you get into this uh you get into this cycle where where we're supposed to have an opinion on everything uh and we're supposed to somehow develop that ourselves we can never sort of defer and say you know um, you know, on this one, I'm just going to go with what, you know, Fauci says. I mean, you know, what does Fauci, whatever Fauci says, I'm going to, you know, there's a sort of, there's a sort of a weirdness people feel about that. They want to feel like they've dug in, they've done the research, they've mm-hmm. looked at all the, they've looked at all that they can navigate and they've completely like, they've rerun the math themselves. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of a bizarre, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a bizarre, way of thinking about um, truth seeking and, and information well, seeking, if you think about it. And there's this odd thing where, you know, I, I think at your, your criticism of the traditional way that we talk about critical thinking and media literacy, I think is fundamentally right. Because the thing that you're always told is, hey, do your own research, yep. think critically and do your own research. And that actually, what kind of advice is that? First of all, you're asking people who are not professional researchers and are certainly not experts in whatever the topic is that they're researching to do their own research using what tools? The internet? You know, uh, I, I mean, I've only recently rediscovered in my 30s a good way to research is to go down to the public library. And you <laughs> you, you still, you actually do get better information than you do on the internet uh, because so much good information is locked inside of books. Um, but... Uh, okay, let's say you do that. You do your own research on whatever the topic is. Well, if I think about who is perpetrating the worst misinformation online, the biggest conspiracy theorists, the people who are spreading the most dangerous falsehoods, they're almost all non-professionals who are doing their own research. It's some it's some like computer programmer with a medium account going like, well, hold on a second. I ran my own numbers on, you know, COVID and, and here's why I think it came from a lab or whatever. And, and they write it very flashily and it goes and, and you're looking at it, you go, this person actually doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. (laughs) They just sat around their kitchen table and came to the, and found a way to get to the conclusion they wanted to come to. And so we're asking people to almost become uh, <laughs> spreaders yeah. of misinformation when so, we're, when we so do there's, this. There's a lot of there's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of facts out there. There's a lot of events you can sort through that you can connect in multiple uh, multiple ways, right? Um, and it's overwhelming, right? It's 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 overwhelming, right? If we look at if we look at sort of um, if we look at all the statistics, all the numbers produced in the most recent election. And, and somebody says, hey, look at this number and look at this number and, and look at how this changed this way. And so just, it, you know, the, the sort of raw dataness of that is overwhelming to the average individual. Mm-hmm. And 
is overwhelming to the scholar too, or it would be overwhelming to the scholar, except what the scholar has, right? And what, what the academic has, and what the expert has, and what the professional has, the professional in a professional community. It's not just academics, is they have a field, right, mm-hmm. of people uh, who help them figure out, hey, what what is credible? What is important? What is normal? What is not, right? And so, uh, you know, <laughs> When you think about when you think about people that are doing their own research, it's not that 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 research is wrong, but research happens within a research community, right? Mm-hmm. And that research community is hopefully a, a bunch of people who have figured out, uh, you know, what are standards of evidence, right? What are the procedures through which we vet information, right? Uh, what are what what does credentialing look like in our community? And it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, academia. It doesn't have to be that, you know, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, professional acumen, like, um, you know, plumbing or something like that, right? There's a community that says, hey, this is a standard way of doing this. And this is not. And it helps focus your energy. It helps focus the way you go about searching for solutions. If you kind of just do it yourself without this, these sort of social structures that help us vet information, verify information, set standards of evidence, uh, figure out how to credential uh, different people as having some uh, more authority uh, to speak on an issue than other. If, if you do it outside of that, you're going to become quickly overwhelmed, right? Yeah. And so one of the things that you do want to do, I do want people uh, to think for themselves, but I also want them to think. Uh, with others, right? And thinking with others means figuring out, hey, what community, what community actually has the expertise, the background to actually be able to f- to separate the signal from the noise uh, yeah. on a specific issue? Find your way to that community and at least engage with it. Maybe at the end of the day, you don't agree with it, but understand what they're understand you know the, the the primary arguments within that community understand understand what they think is normal and what they think is abnormal and why right yeah. one of the biggest things an expert has that the novice does not have is an expert knows what they see all the time right yeah and a novice doesn't and we saw that in spades with the a lot of the election uh, mm-hmm. um, uh misinformation and disinformation uh you know the experts would say hey look Every every election at about 2 a.m. in the morning, you're going to see the big cities dump the votes because that's the, they process a lot of votes. They, they end up getting uh, put out at 2 a.m. And uh, those votes are going to primarily be Democratic because they're big cities. Uh, and so expect a big jump in Democratic votes uh, at 2 a.m. from some of the major urban centers. We see, yeah. we have seen this every election since yeah. the dawn of time. Um the 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 novice goes in and they're like, why why suddenly did mm-hmm. the Democrats jump ahead at two a.m. after yeah. everybody went to sleep? You know, so they they can't necessarily separate out what is normal from what is uh they can't necessarily separate what out what is normal from what is and then their and then their sort of pattern their natural human pattern seeking and their desire to sort of overturn the outcome lend them to you know tend them to go yeah. to the conclusion motivated that oh something nefarious is, was at foot is a lot of it motivated reasoning is absolutely a lot of it uh, but I, but I also again I think being overwhelmed by sort of the the the, the raw dataness of it. Yeah, uh, plays plays a big part, 
Uh, because unless, again, the reason why we have academic disciplines, the reason why we have professional standards is to help us organize and get signal out of the noise, to, to yeah. get some sort of message out of the chaos. And if you kind of enter it without that, uh, you're going to be lost. And so when I, when I say, uh, uh, when you approach information and you want to engage with it, one of the things you want is someone that can kind of give you the lay of the land and someone yeah. that you trust to, right? And it's not to say that you don't form a unique opinion on it. It's not to say that you don't disagree, that you don't dissent eventually, but you probably want to start, if you're looking at election information, you probably want to start and look at, hey, what do people that study elections, what right. do they think is good? What, what do they think is normal? What would they look for? What, what would an election expert look for as evidence of fraud? Right. Well, like, uh, yeah. what what does someone who's been studying this for 10 years, like say, if you're interested in the topic, uh, the way I look at it sometimes is I'm getting a. Uh, I'm fast forwarding a little bit. If I'm interested in the topic, well, I would want to read A, B, C, D. I'd want to take this class, that class. Mm-hmm. I'd want to read this book, that book. And then, you know, I, I'd want to, you know, engage in this activity, that activity. And then I would have gained a base knowledge yeah. uh, of the thing. And I, if I talk to someone who already has it, they can fast forward me and say, oh, if you look into this stuff a lot, you know, A, B, C. Um, and yeah. that can, yeah. there's that sort of general ground knowledge. And for, and for the novice, that is so worth so much more than someone linking you directly to an Excel spreadsheet of the votes from Milwaukee. Right. right. And, and we have a hard time understanding or, or coming to terms with that. Somehow we believe that, 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 that go diving directly into the Excel spreadsheet is, is a more noble endeavor than, mm-hmm. than trying to find somebody that says, hey, if I was to look in this Excel spreadsheet and there was fraud, like, w- what would that look like? And, and what is kind of normal, right? That, yeah. that somehow the, the, that you're getting closer to the reality of things by diving into, diving into the, uh, diving directly into the spreadsheet, looking directly at the video. Um, and this is, of course, you know, misinformation, disinformation on, on, on both sides. You know, this is whole thing, uh, the term I really hate is this idea that, oh, we're going to teach people to spot, to spot disinformation, misinformation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because again, you know, this idea, like you're going to get a video of some event that maybe did happen or didn't happen. And you're going to look at it closely and you're going to figure out, hey, does this look like it was faked? You know, are, are there artifacts here? Was this photoshopped? You're not an image yeah. expert. The, the chance that you're going to do better at that than someone that has studied it for their entire studied image forensics for their entire life is, is essentially zero. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, there's a joke about this on Internet forums that popped up around, you know, when uh, I think in the early 2000s that was, oh, this is fake. I can tell by looking at the pixels. Yeah. And that's something that people would say to make fun of people who <laughs> claimed that by looking at they could look at an image and say, oh, this was photoshopped. Sometimes when you look at an image and say this is photoshopped, you're right. But sometimes you're wrong. I, I think I love yeah. you, you made a comparison earlier to plumbing. I think that's actually a really good comparison because sell, telling someone do your own research is a lot like telling someone do your own plumbing. It's actually good to know a little bit about plumbing. I have a I have a home. I, there's pipes in it. I learned how to clean my like the little trap that the grease gets in under my bathroom sink. It was clogged, and I learned how that worked. Right, but why? And it's good to have that skill. But while I was down there under there, I started going. Wait a second. Look at this pipe. 
Is that shouldn't should that be like that? Well, something's fishy here because now now let's let's be when my house was built, yeah. they fucked up the plumbing. The plumbing okay. is bad. So I'm looking at it, I'm going, I think they fucked this up. I think there's a mistake in this plumbing. And then I look at it some more and I finally figure out, oh, no, that's how it's supposed to be. I almost took this pipe apart <laughs> because something didn't make sense to me. And you know what I should do is I should ask someone who knows. I should ask my neighbor, who's a general contractor. Hey, do you know? I sent him a picture. Does this look normal? And he says, yeah, no, that's normal. That's supposed to be like that. Don't don't touch that. I'm like, OK, OK, thank you. I'm glad I asked somebody now. That does, it's like, there's sort of a, uh, that doesn't mean that any plumber you ask is going to help you out. Not every plumber is great, but the general, like, expertise does play a role here, as does having a general awareness of how the system works yourself. And and, and, uh, you you bring a good point uh, uh, up there. Uh, You get, sometimes you get bad plumbers, right? Sometimes you get good plumbers. One of of the things we try to teach uh, people when we look at SIFT, right? That's our model for it, right? Stop, investigate the source, find better coverage and trace claims, quotes, and media to the original context. So one of the things in that, in that, in that F, right? That, that, that find other coverage is not necessarily that you're, you're finding one person, but you're you're looking and saying, hey, is there is there anything that represents the views of a bunch of experts in the field, right? Um, because you know what what you would like is you would like some advice that's not just dependent on whether you happen to get the one good plumber, right? There's um, there are good doctors, there are, there are bad doctors, there are doctors that believe a lot of uh, sort of ridiculous things, and then there's doctors uh, who are quite are quite good, so. One of the things we we do teach students is there's there's it, it's worth it looking for something like the American Medical Association. Why? Because that's a uh, large organization that attempts to speak for the common knowledge, the consensus of a large body of medical professionals, and and they have to be careful too, right? I mean, they they're not going to say anything that disagrees with a significant amount, you know, of their membership. Uh, they're going to make sure that when they make various statements about things that they're supported by the evidence, that, it, that it's it's broadly a consensus, uh, at least among medical professionals. Uh, and when you find something like that, that's more useful to you than the view of a single person. So you start to see how it it's we almost have it completely backwards. Right. We think, mm-hmm. oh, well, here's the evidence. If I went directly to the evidence. Like, then I would get the best answer. And then maybe we step back from that and say, okay, well, if I can't go directly to the evidence, I will find the one expert, the one smartest expert, the person, the one expert who is right. And, 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 and then, you know, and then you say, well, what, you know, that, but that's, 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 that's flipped backwards. That, that's, that's upside down, mm-hmm. right? Um, you probably want to look and see what a body of experts says, right? Uh, if you couldn't find a body of experts, then maybe you'd want to resort to just finding, you know, finding a decent expert on a subject. So if you're doing plumbing, you'd want to say, hey, look, what is the standard in here? What is, is there, is there, a, is there, is there some place I can go that says, hey, this is the standard way you should be doing this. That is yeah. not just one person, right? What, you know, uh, you know, if you think about your house, right, there's standards for how the stuff is mm-hmm. supposed to be done in your house, right? Uh, what is the standard? Uh, what, you know, what, what, what? what constitutes the standard. Um, if you can't find that, then maybe you want to find the expert. You say, okay, I'm going to find an expert. I'm going to try to find an expert that I trust. And if you couldn't find that, then maybe you still, then maybe, maybe you have to go deep into the specific problem itself. Maybe if you couldn't find a, a standard on it, 
if you couldn't find a trusted expert on a particular issue in your house, maybe you'd have to sort through it yourself and figure out, okay, what, no one seems to know what this is. You know, how do I deal with it? <laughs> but, but really that's, that's, um, that, I mean, that's, that's way down the line <laughs> yeah. from, from, from the, these sorts of things. So tell me again what, what SIFT stands for. Yeah. So uh, SIFT is a, is a model that we use with students. Um, it's, it's an acronym. It's uh, STOP. STOP is just uh, before you share something or react uh, to something, ask yourself, do I really know what this is? Like, mm-hmm. A, am I an expert in this area? Uh, B, like, do I know anything about the credibility of this person uh, who, is, who, is, who is sharing it or putting it in front of me? Um, investigate the source. We don't mean deep you know, Pulitzer Prize winning investigations. Uh, we just mean, what is the basic, you know, what is the agenda of this source, right? Like, what, what, yeah. what is it they try to do, you know? And um, a lot of times you can look them up on Wikipedia and yeah, see. Yeah, a lot of times you can look them oh, up on is Wikipedia. The, yeah. is, is there a... Is there is there some incident in their past where they <laughs> yeah is there an incident in like their that? past or or even just you know if you're looking for a first answer on something you might want somebody that um you know is is an expert in a field but you might steer away from somebody that's uh, heavily involved in advocacy at least to start that, I, yes. I believe that you want to engage with advocates right but I'm just saying as you start to orient yourself to a new question you might not want to start with advocates right because yeah you might not want to start with someone who works for a think tank that's funded by an industry might yeah, be an example. exactly yeah. exactly and it's not to say that 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 the work they do is never useful it's simply to say that if I'm asking for the sort of a map of the landscape of an issue I probably want to start with somebody that isn't you know drawing a map to try to get me to to, to where they want me to go Right. Right. I want someone that's just interested in drawing maps as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, and so you you look at that and, and this can be really simple. You know, um, uh, you see a story. It says, hey, look, there's a coronavirus outbreak, uh, you know, at, at our local high school. Right. The covid outbreak at our local high school. Someone shares that. It could just be hovering over like the profile and seeing, oh, actually, this is a local reporter. They're not going to throw away, you know, they're going to they're going to have enough care with this issue uh, that, that they're not simply going to report a, a rumor. Right. Uh, or, hey, you know, this person here, this is a local comedy account. <laughs> you know, we mm-hmm. see this all the time, actually, especially on the left. A lot of times you see <laughs> you see literal jokes. Gorilla Channel, probably the biggest example of this uh, little you know, jokes that people make uh, going viral. Even though the person sharing it on Twitter, the person sharing it, uh, you know, on Instagram, the person wherever, the person sharing it says right in their account, "Hey, comedian, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comic tweets, and and people haven't, you know, even looked and said, "Hey, this is a comedian." That that's a different context. I'm I'm, I'm slowing down here a little, Sif. So let me get through the other the other pieces of it. Really yes. Quick. Uh, so so again, investigate the source. Figure out, hey, is this a medical researcher? Is this a conspiracy theorist? Is this a local news reporter? Is this a local comedian? Uh, then if for the issue that, uh, you're looking at that level of authority, credibility and trustworthiness, uh, is not sufficient, then find better coverage. And we really, Mm. really encourage people. This is probably the biggest lesson in our, in our, uh, curriculum. Um, be, be really, um, we really encourage people to, 
not stick on the piece of information that comes to them, the source that comes from them. And this is one of the things that social media really pushes you to do. You get a story from somebody and it's something you're interested in, but rather than backing up and saying, hey, if I really was interested in this, where would I go to find a, a good a good coverage of this? You end up engaging with that story because that happens to be the one that came in front of you, right? Right. So, so, uh, and this is just really this is this is just a bad way to go about things, right? And so, find better coverage means okay. So, I got this story. It's from someone maybe that I don't trust implicitly. Um, rather than it sort of going through everything and trying to figure out, hey, you know, what are they saying that's true? What are they saying that's false? Is it by just ditch this whole thing over here. Go find uh, another story on it. Go to Google News Search. You know, right. if someone, you know, if, if if there's a rumor that someone just died, you know, um, you know, uh, the Keanu Reeves rule is, is uh, if you want to know if Keanu Reeves uh, died or if it's a hoax on Twitter, you, you don't delve deeply into the tweet, you go to Google News and you search Keanu Reeves. I mean, if, if Keanu Reeves, yeah. I, I, this is, feels creepy now. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, there, there's no, almost I mean, always, the, there's almost always other coverage of whatever the yeah, thing there's is. there's almost always other coverage. Go read a couple new, go, go look at the New York Times and the LA Times side by side and, and like, just, just see what else is out yeah, there on what, the same time. see topic. what else is there. You know, there's, there, there was a coverage, um, there's coverage, there's a Keanu Reeves death hoax. The reason why it's in my head is it, Keanu Reeves' death, death hoax um, a few years back. I said Keanu Reeves uh, died while- You're he saying he didn't die? I he, thought no, he died. No, he didn't die. Let's be really clear about this. I want, okay, I, okay, I want okay. To, I, want to, <laughs> um, I, I thought I was an imposter in Always Be My Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so there was, this, there, was this, uh, there was this story that he died while snowboarding that went viral, right? And you get into that plausibility trap, right? What, what do people do? This is this is really weird thing that happens uh, with people uh, psychologically, where the more detail something has, the more they tend to think it's real. Like mm-hmm. people think that, um, you know, it's it's more likely, um, you know, it's more likely to die from lung cancer by smoking than it is to die from lung cancer, which is a, like a logical impossibility. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. But Keanu Reeves dies by snowboarding. People start to delve into that mentally and they're like, well, yeah, I do know that Keanu Reeves does snowboard. Snowboarding mm-hmm. is dangerous. And so you get into this plausible. Don't do that. That's not just go to Google News, type in Keanu Reeves. If, if something happened to Keanu Reeves, the whole world will be talking about it on, on Google News. Right. Uh, and then the last piece is just trace claims, quotes and media to the original context. So we see a lot of times that um, uh, people use real media, real pictures, um, uh, we saw this with mail dumping narratives in the election, right? So, uh, people would use pictures of, of, uh, uh, postal workers, uh, dumping mail in 2018. And then they would say, you say, look at this, you know, uh, massive fraud, right? Right. Um, if you trace that photo to the source, or if you click the story, even sometimes, and look at the date. You're like, actually, this is from years. <laughs> this is from years ago, right? Um, very similar things. Uh, very often, you'll see a photograph or a video uh, where maybe the the beginning has been clipped out. We saw this. Um, uh, we saw this with the Covington video, right, where the beginning had been clipped off, mm-hmm. uh, and then everybody got outraged about it. Uh, and then it turned out to be a much more nuanced situation once people saw the full video. Yes, right. And uh, so if people had said, hey, this is so this is coming from someone I don't know, I, I want to see the fullest version of this video to start. Um, then then again, trace trace that to the to the to the source and see if that con that original context uh, shed some light. 
on the nature of that. Uh, so sift, stop, investigate. Yep. And then what were the other two? Uh, find uh, better coverage and then trace claims, quotes, and media to the original context. I really love this acronym, but I do feel it's a little hard to put into practice in our current media environment. And I want to find out how <laughs> I want to find out how you feel about that. But we got to take a really quick break. Okay. We'll be right back with more Mike Caulfield. As a Factually listener, you're probably aware of my unwavering commitment to online privacy. Well, Delete Me has been an indispensable tool for me for many years, long before they even started advertising on this show. I've been using their wonderful service. In today's digital landscape, you know, it's alarmingly easy for data brokers to traffic your personal information online. In fact, I would almost guarantee that your personal information is on multiple data broker sites on the internet right now. It's not even the dark web, it's the regular web. These data brokers may be peddling and exchanging your name, phone number, and home address all without your knowledge. And trying to locate and remove all this data yourself can feel like an impossible task because there can be dozens of these sites. But that is what Delete Me does for you. Delete Me's team of experts scours the depths and the breadth of the internet to locate and remove your personal data. Within just seven days, you'll receive a comprehensive report detailing their findings and what they have removed. It can be hard to believe but approximately 41% of Americans find themselves vulnerable to various forms of online harassment, and this means doxing, scams, and even identity theft, all of which pose significant threats to your financial security and could potentially derail career opportunities. I mean, I used to get weird people calling my cell phone all hours of the day or night until I signed up for Delete Me and it cut it right out. So if you want to safeguard yourself like that and live with the peace of mind that experts are hunting down and removing your personal information every three months, then check out Delete Me. Go to joindeleteme.com slash Adam and get 20% off for all consumer plans with the code Adam. That's joindeleteme.com slash Adam. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Okay, we're back with Mike Caulfield. Um, so you talked right before about right before the break about SIFT, about this acronym for for helping us avoid misinformation. But it occurs to me that you used a couple examples that went super, super wide, even in the mainstream media. You yeah. talked about the the Covington video with the uh, the kids uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, with the standoff with the uh, Native American man beating a drum, uh, where there was a shortened version of this video that we then finally saw the long version. You talk about misattributed mis uh, photos that put me in mind of uh, last year when... You know, there are all these stories about that the the U.S. Postal Service is getting rid of blue mailboxes, that they're that they're yeah. destroying mailboxes. And there were these photos of like dumps full of mailboxes. And then the story came out. Oh, wait, th th those are actually very normal. Those are old photos yeah. of normal mailbox dumping grounds. It is the case that, 
you know, there are some cuts being made of the Postal Service that should concern us. However, these photos are, you know, uh, not accurate. But that went very, very wide and not just, you know, uh, uh, you know, rando kooks saying this on social media. This was sort of really touched mainstream media coverage. Um and so we're in this media environment where this happens like daily as a matter of course. Yeah. Uh, do you feel we're in a crisis situation with misinformation? I mean, people people say that we are, but you study it for a living. Do you think it's really bad and that it's worse than it's ever been? Well, you know, in the field of misinformation, people debate this all the time. Is is it worse? Is it just more visible? Um the school of thought that uh, that I uh, subscribe to is that um, at least the types of misinformation we're seeing now are more wired in to people in positions of authority and power. Now, now I got to make one uh, little but immensely important footnote on that. Um, when you look at the history of racism in this country, uh, you find that uh, misinformation and disinformation about race very often uh, had its hands on the levers of power too, right? So I, I want to make that really, uh, really clear. It's not unprecedented in that sense. But the, the sort of broad misinformation about everything in the way that it's woven itself into, say, Congress, uh, you know, uh, people, uh, political uh, people um, uh, 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 sharing it, being exposed to it, uh, the way that it's um, affecting uh, professions. Um, this is, this is uh, I think, new in, in, in that way. If you think about, for example, we're looking at vaccines and, and there's some uh, issues with uh, nurses and EMTs and, and things like that, that, that some of them are actually refusing uh, the vaccine. And why is that? Well, it turns out that EMTs and Nurses also are on Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and so you you start to have uh, people, you know, who normally would be getting most of their information through those through those really reputable and, and largely trustworthy channels. Um, now getting this all this because they want to share pictures of their kids. Uh, they're also exposed to this stream of things that, that is, is creating this sort of um, uh, distrust in many places where distrust is not warranted. And so, so I think that element, the way in which uh, you're seeing also this with, um, you know, uh, with police departments, right? So nurses, police departments, policymakers, um, they're, all, they're all, you know, they're all engaged in their profession, in their field, uh, but they're also exposed to sort of this massive amount of misinformation and disinformation. And, and I really worry about the way that that uh, shapes policy, shapes uh, the rollout of, of uh, various initiatives. Um, I mean, I think that, I think that's, that can be really, uh, really um, yeah. destructive. And, um, and it, you know, yeah, go ahead. It, well, it poses a problem for, your methodology, I think, to a certain extent, because, you know, you talk about, well, let's let's defer to experts or at least let's consult experts let's, when we're trying to answer a, a question like this. Let's go talk to an expert or let's survey the AMA or whatever the group expert body is. But these bodies are also subject to misinformation, right? Yeah, <laughs> we no, have, they, no, as you are. say, we have they folks are. in Congress are. who are, you know, uh, and, and I, so 
the uh, I don't think literacy itself solves this, right? I, mm-hmm. I think it, it has to be part of a you know a sort of tool belt um, of of different things that 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 happen, right? I mean, one of the things is I mean, in, in one one it's probably like eight legs to the stool, right? But uh, you know, one of uh, one of the legs is, is certainly that some of these professional bodies have to be better at getting their message out, communicating it, getting in front of people in the way that a lot of the people engaged in disinformation are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because the people that are engaged in disinformation are finding a way to get this in front of people every other day mm-hmm. and, and change their perception of things. Uh, and the people uh, you know, in these organizations are, are going really through a lot of uh, traditional traditional channels. So, so communications uh, is a piece of that. You know, I will say when you look at the professions, it doesn't change my trust in something like the AMA uh, or, um, you know, a a nurse's organization or uh, something like that, because I I do think it's still, because they have the benefit of the professional knowledge, the, the level of erosion in a field like that is actually less, right. Than it is in, um, in other places. Um, but it is a it is a real it is a very real concern. And one of the things that I've uh, been advocating is that these various professional organizations teach their members uh, to sort through this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you mentioned something earlier that I do want to address. That hey, there's a lot of things that kind of went far and wide, and uh, uh, where there was a lot of um, uh, confusion at first, whether that's Covington or or the uh, the 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 secret mailboxes or whatever. Um, you know, one of the things that, that does happen is if, uh, you know, one of our superpowers is we can just wait. <laughs> we can just wait a bit. Uh, so we can uh, use SIFT and very quickly discover, hey, you know, I got a short bag of tricks. I try out, it takes 60 seconds. And if at the end of it, I come up with nothing, you know, I can wait and I can, you know, I can, instead of sharing this, I can bookmark it mm-hmm. and I can come back to it tomorrow. And the truth is usually... By the next day, if it's if it's gotten any sort of um, traction, you will actually find coverage on. It. You will find someone saying, "Hey, actually, these mailboxes have been around." With the Covington video, it wasn't very long until that second video emerged. It actually really wasn't that long. It was long enough that a lot of people didn't wait, but it wasn't that long, right? And so, part of it is you go through this, you go through this stuff, and you say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to hold off on this for a little bit," and. To kind of bring that into the talk about professionals, I think that's important for professionals too. The, the, the way a lot of this stuff works is you have this sort of constant stream of stuff. And you just, even if you don't process it, it sort of builds this, um, over time, it, 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 it erodes your trust, right? It creates a feeling of unease, right? Uh, it's the sort of, you know, I don't know precisely what, but there's something fishy there, Right. Uh, and the idea of using something like SIFT is when you feel that strong emotional reaction, when something really has affected you, mm-hmm. uh, that you actually don't leave it, right? They actually come to a conclusion either, hey, this is worth my attention. It's not worth my attention, or maybe it's, maybe it's outright false. Um, or actually, it turns out that this thing I just got really upset about, people don't really know if it's true or not yet, right? So maybe mm-hmm. I should chill. Right. So so and I, I think that that uh, over time, if people do engage in that sort of activity and realize, hey, I actually don't 
like I'm, I'm not going to get all upset and disturbed about this until I know a little more that it will change the emotional disposition of people uh, to some of these uh, to some of these things. And it, it, I think it can stop. Um, I think it can stop some of the erosion of trust. And I think it's particularly important that, um, you know, I do it. Uh, at the university level, I teach people to do it at the university level, I teach the stuff at the university level. But I ultimately want to see this sort of training put into all the different disciplines that are dealing with uh, misinformation and disinformation on yeah. a daily basis. Now, but you talk about, uh, you know, you, you teach students how to yeah. uh, do this. Uh, strikes me that a lot of the people spreading and who are frankly victims of misinformation are not students. They're uh, very old. <laughs> they're instead people who are long out of school, not going to go back to school anytime soon. Um, they're, they're grandmas and grandpas uh, with iPads. Uh, and how do we get the message to those folks? Well, I mean, there's multiple ways, right? So uh, uh, people at... Um um, University of Washington's uh, Center for an Informed Public are looking at ways of using public libraries to get some of this message out. I think we can get some of this out uh, through, um, you know, professional organizations that people might be involved with. Um, you know, I, I've talked to, uh, done interviews with Consumer Reports, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to reach the sort of Consumer Reports. Every old uh, person's crap, favorite magazine. You know, and, and, and old people that would like to feel like they are good at figuring out that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. You know, um, and so there's that. Right. But, uh, but I also think that there's this value. One thing. So, so when we think about professionals and, and I'll come back to why this relates to students in, in like 10 seconds, uh, when we think about professionals, one of the things that when we look at what we would teach nurses, for example, is the majority of nurses consume good information, but they uh, are confronted with, Patients that often have encountered misinformation and the patient says the misinformation, what do they do, right? How do they figure out what the heck the patient is talking about and how do they address, you know, whether that's true or false? Well, one of the things is you can give um, people in a profession like that uh, the skills to not only check this, but because SIFT is a methodology, they understand, hey, this is how you go about it. And they can show that person, this is how I... Uh, look at an issue like this mm -hmm. and 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 here's here's how I'm finding out that this is this is largely spurious right the same thing is true with students one of the things we do at the end of uh, most of the courses that uh, the people I uh, the faculty I, I I teach teach the students and the ones where I've taught students directly um, the students want to know hey how do we go and you know how how do we teach this to the adults um, but the, a lot of them are actually motivated, right? So, so uh, one of the things that, that strikes me is I was having a conversation with a person about uh, SIFT, and they said um, the thing that j had just struck them was that their mom, every few months, their mom shared one of these fake uh, Facebook posts of this person that had supposedly gone missing but hadn't. You know, mm -hmm. this is a big thing to get likes as people pretend someone's gone missing. Share this, please. She hasn't been home for three days. Sometimes it's true. And yeah. the person sharing that really wants to help, right? Yeah. It's not a bad motivation. And if the person really is missing, it, it might provide help, right? So it, it's a dilemma, right? Yeah. And so she would say back to her mom, she would go and she would check and she would find out, actually, mom, this is a hoax. This is a hoax. And she'd say to her mom, this is a hoax. Mom, this is a hoax. 
in every few months, mom, this is a hoax. And when, uh, after going through SIF, she said, you know, what I realized about this is I have to tell my mom this is a hoax every couple months, but I could show my mom how to do this right? yeah. <laughs> because it's not, it's right. not that hard, right? You take right. the person's, uh, with the, this particular uh, sort of misinformation, you take the person's name who has supposedly gone missing, you throw that into a Google News search. Uh, and if all the articles come, come up are like, you know, Snopes <laughs> in, in truth or fiction and hoax yeah. there, that person did not go missing, right? Yeah. Uh, if, if you find that there is something from a local paper or something like that, then that person is indeed uh, missing, right? It's not hard. It's, it's, it, it literally takes five seconds, but she was, um, she was, she was, she was sort of bailing the boat out without yeah. dealing with the leak, right? Yeah. And, and so I think that that's, that's, that's a model that, that I'm interested in. And one of the reasons why we try to make it as simple as possible and as methodical as possible, we have these moves like just add Wikipedia uh, to, to, a, to a URL and things like that. They're just sort of dirt simple moves. And uh, we try to do that because it's not only that we're teaching students how to do that, but we want students to teach other people uh, in their lives as well. That's really great. That's really great advice. Um, and, and I am really on board with this mission. I, I do have a question about when I, I think it gets most complicated. Okay. Um, because again, you uh, are saying, you know, a big thing is let's, let's go look at the mainstream sources. Let's look at mm-hmm. the large professional groups and things of that nature. One of the things that I do that I focus on in my own work is finding the places where the mainstream opinion is wrong or where the professional group is wrong. And sometimes, you know, you mentioned the American Medical Association. We don't need to go through a list. The American Medical Association has been had had wrong wrong positions many times. And there's been some other doctor saying, oh, the AMA guidelines here, the AMA advice is incorrect. And then, you know, maybe after some decades it moves. Right. And we we learn the truth about whatever this condition is. Um, whatever. I mean, I assume at some point, you know, we used to lobotomize people regularly in America and presumably there were professional groups saying this is a great treatment. And there were a couple doctors saying, oh my God, we need to stop doing all these lobotomies. Right. Um, and here's the problem now that now I look for people who are saying that where it's true, where I can, I, uh, there's enough, uh, dissidents saying this, that I can trust them and believe them. However, misinformation also, quite often takes the form of someone saying, ah, the mainstream is wrong. The mainstream is incorrect. And how do you evaluate that? A a very good example of this is uh, that I uh, still don't quite have an opinion on is the lab leak hypothesis about COVID-19 because it's gone back and forth about, you know, whether these are cranks saying this, whether it's, you know, and you can, there's a group of doctors who say that we should take this more seriously. There's also another enormous group of people saying that this is a dangerous conspiracy theory. Um, And it's very, very difficult to weed out one from the other. Uh, Do you have any specific tips or tricks in that sort of instance? Yeah. So part of what we're doing when we look uh, at uh, find other coverage is we're trying to discern um, not just like what, you know, what, what idea wins, right? What claim, what, what, you know, what claim wins? That's not what we're looking for, right? We're trying to discern, hey, how, how does, again, it's the lay of the land. It's the map of this issue. And there are different ways that can play out. Uh, you know, it could be something like global warming where there's a consensus, right? You know, global warming exists. The consensus is it's man-made. 
right? That's that that looks one way, right? It could be a majority minority sort of thing, right? Like there's a majority opinion, right? And then there's this minority opinion, uh, and the minority opinion could end up being uh, could end up being correct. Um, and what you would want to look for in a majority minority opinion is whether there is any certain split, right? That that is indicative. Um, I'll give you an example with the with the mask, you know, uh, guidance we got. Right, there was a mass. There was not a consensus that we shouldn't wear masks in in uh, you know in uh, March. Right, there was not a consensus that we shouldn't wear masks. Um, there were uh, we had in Western countries a lot of people saying we shouldn't wear masks. We had a lot of experts uh, in Asian countries saying, yeah, wear wear the mask. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting split because it turns out that the Asian countries have dealt with these pandemics more, right? Yeah. And and so even though there's a split there, you look at that and you say, you know, if if you were looking at, uh, for example, recommendations on mastectomies, and you found, hey, look, female researchers tend to lean this way, male researchers tend to lean this way, that would be a really interesting split, right? right. So you have a majority minority thing on the on the lab thing. There's another thing going on, which is just uncertainty. And you have a lot of experts constantly trying to tell people repeatedly, we just don't know. We just don't know. And you have a lot of people trying to blot that out and turn that into a yes or no. And the case has been on the, on the lab situation um, that it's a theoretical possibility, right? Mm-hmm. There are, there's a, a scattered amount of information that could be read one way or another way. And the majority of experts say, we actually, we just don't know, right? Yeah. And, and, and people are not willing to take uh, uncertainty for an answer. And, 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 and it translates, unfortunately, it translates, uh, however this turns out, right? Um, it's going to translate into, well, you said one thing and, and then we, and then you go back and you look at the, the comments and it's like, no, actually most, a lot of people are saying, if you look at the experts in the area, there was, there was a lot of uncertainty uh, at the yeah. at the start. But we can note that. So here, so, you know, I, again, I've read some of the debate on this issue and it, I find it slightly, it like bothers me when I read it uh, and I'm trying yeah. to figure out why I also don't really have a stake in it. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. but I think part of the reason it, it starts to look like misinformation to me and I start to put it in that bucket is because the folks who are there seem to be folks pushing the lab leak piece of it, um, that, that there seems to be some amount of wanting to be punitive against China or against the medical research establishment or they say it was a lab leak. It was these people's fault. And, you know, we need to acknowledge that. And then scientists say, well, we actually don't know. And they say, oh, but it could be, though. It could be. Yeah. And you're ignoring it. And, and, let's, and be, there, let's, let's be specific there's, about there's that. There's a whiff I, I of th- motivated reasoning there. I think I think what you're seeing is you're seeing the people that are very motivated, that have a punitive reason, are expressing a level of certainty mm-hmm. about the yes, it happened. The people uh, who are not motivated are expressing a level of uncertainty. And, and, mm-hmm. and maybe that in, in what I would watch in a situation like that is I would watch those people that, that, that seem to be unmotivated by that. And I would watch if their uncertainty starts to trend one way or another, that would be a really important signal to, to, to you. Right. But, but you kind of, you get that, I think, again, by sort of looking at, Hey, 
Um, of the people that hold this opinion strongly, what do they look like? Of the people that are uncertain, you know, what do, what do, what do they look like as a group? What, do, what is their background? Of the people that, um, uh, of the people that believe it didn't happen and we can show that it didn't happen, uh, for various reasons, what do, what does their background look like? And that's an incredibly complex, uh, issue. And part of what we're, we're talking about with SIFT is really dealing with the, simple issues very quickly. So if you want to give your more attention to a question like that, you can give more attention to that without, um, even along an issue like that, I'll give you an example of, of the way an issue like uh, lab leak um, gets exacerbated by things that SIF does deal with. Uh, there was a, just after um, uh, we started getting a lot of coverage of, of COVID-19 in this country in like February, um, a Harvard professor, I think, was uh, arrested for, um, you know, illegally working uh, with the Chinese government. That is, uh, they were taking some money for a bunch of projects that they hadn't disclosed and, and mm-hmm. so forth. And he worked at a lab in Harvard. And, and this was blown up as... Right. Uh, this mm-hmm. guy was working with with Wuhan. Uh, he has a background in uh, chemical warfare, you know, all this stuff. None of that's true. Right? Yeah. What's true is that he works on a number of things, none of which relate to COVID-19. If you click the article and you actually read the article being shared, you can find that out. Um, and um, and all of this stuff was sort of built around it. Right. Uh, you are going to have a better make better decisions on a, on a, 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 an issue like this. Um, if you can immediately kind of, you know, if you have a standard of evidence, right. Yeah. And you can immediately say, look, I don't want to be distracted by that. I don't want to be like filtering out all that stuff and coming down to, you know, what the, what the basics, um, what the basics of the issue uh, are. And then, and then of course, again, really when you see phrases People, you know, scientists use for uncertainty, understanding uh, that they really mean they're uncertain uh, and understanding what that uncertainty means. That's a more complex issue, but uh, I think one that we've got to get better at, uh, because otherwise what people feel like is um, people feel like science is constantly whiplashing back and forth. And, and in a lot of cases, um, there are a lot of cases where science is actually moving forward in a fairly measured fashion. Yeah. Right. It's just that, that, that the clickbait headlines that we're sort of exposed to uh, create every new study as a new consensus. Yeah. I mean, there's a, we need to be able to separate out the science from the media coverage of the science to a certain extent. Like I think another good example of that is at the very beginning of the pandemic, when the medical advice was very much about wiping down surfaces yeah. and surface based. Um, and then the media kept repeating that that became our cultural understanding of how to fight coronavirus. And then uh, within a couple of months, we started to realize scientists started to realize, oh, this is actually spread via aerosols uh, through the air. Um, but that message wasn't getting out yet. It wasn't permeating the media. So you had all these scientists saying, hold on a second, aerosols, aerosols, aerosols. There was like a, you know, contact tracing study of like a restaurant, I think in Taiwan, there were, you know, multiple yeah. infectious disease experts saying this, you know, if you look at the pattern, there was a case with a the choir, there was this, we covered this on this podcast. Um, and then it, it at that moment, it was sort of like this dissident group because it was these were folks who were counterposed against the mainstream media. Um, but they were 
uh, scientists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's the thing. The, so, the so one of the things is people, uh, a lot of conspiracy theorists want you to confuse a fringe idea with a minority idea. Right. Mm-hmm. And those are two different things. Right. A minority position is one which is not the majority position within a discipline or a field, um, but which is engaged with the people in that field trying to make the case. Yeah. Right. And the people in the field are engaged with dealing with the very real uh, evidence and objections that 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 minority position raises. Right. Um, a fringe position is just that it's fringe because it actually doesn't engage with the field at all. Right. Yeah. It, and, and it doesn't want to, right? It doesn't want to, right? It, there's, there's not a desire to engage with the field because the field has certain standards of evidence, certain processes, certain things uh, which make uh, which, which are not conducive to the specific fringe idea. And they feel like their case is better made by sort of directly taking the fringe idea to the public, mm-hmm. which does not understand what those standards of evidence are, you know, and, and so forth. And so these are, these are two very different things. And I think what you find is um, there are a lot of people invested in making you think that they're the, um, that they're the same, <laughs> that they're, yeah. they're the same thing. And, and uh, usually if an idea has some legs, right, usually not always, I mean, like, as you said, you go into a lot of cases, uh, you know, on this program, uh, on your TV show, where people got things very wrong. And nutrition is like one of the worst yes. uh, cases of this. Um, uh, but uh, where, um, with, a, uh, with an idea that has some legs on it, you can usually convince some people in your field, hey, let's, let's uh, you know, let's take a look at this. Um, maybe not everybody. And there, there is, there is, I mean, the, the nature of, we know that the culture of science can be resistant to new ideas sometimes. Mm-hmm. It absolutely can. But there's also a huge benefit to people that end up breaking through that in, in, in showing the new idea, right? So, so there are different incentives in that. And I think what you do find is in most cases, a person with a, a, an idea where there's, there's good evidence can actually uh, at least build a small community within a discipline. You know, it's it's weird. In some ways, my approach to media literacy is is a minority position in terms of the, my mm. profession. Right, mm. uh, the profession actually engages in this thing they've done since the 1990s. I'm saying that thing doesn't work. Yeah. You know, and so I am, yeah. Hold I am, on a second. <laughs> hold on a second. I need to. I hold on. I need to stop. Okay, this is too I need meta. To stop. This is too meta for the program. Yeah. Okay, Michael Caulfield. I got to investigate <laughs> the source. Well, I did learn about him from a piece in the New York Times, so that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. But I need to go. I need to go find other source. Okay. I. Uh, I'll do that right after I'm done interviewing. Okay. Him. So, so here's here's what it, you know. If people were looking into my minority idea here, um. I would encourage them to look uh, at the number of uh, of professionals of uh, of uh, you know, librarians that teach this stuff all the time and, and constantly assess it. The uptake in that, um, the recent uh, some of the recent uh, research that has come out on uh, lateral reading, which is uh, you know what uh, one of the underlying principles of this is some something we call lateral reading. Uh, but you'd look at that and you'd find it's small, right? But what you'd find is actually I did not, when I when I started going out and proposing this stuff, I did not have a hard time gaining relatively quickly mm-hmm. a group of professionals. 
uh, who understood, hey, what we're doing is not working. Let's try this, assessing it, finding out it did work, and and growing that. It it was not, even though this is like fundamentally opposite of the way that we've done things since the 90s in higher education, um, I was able able to get, because uh, the idea was valuable and useful within the profession, I was able to get a, a group of people around it. Uh, relatively, relatively quickly. Now, if I, if after four years, every single librarian I had talked to has said, you don't know what you're talking about. I tried this and I had, you know, it was, it, it, it the students got, the students are worse than this than ever, right? Yeah. Every single, you know, if I could not find any librarian in the country or any set of librarians in the country, uh, librarians often do the infillate at college level. I, I, I assume everybody knows that maybe people don't know that. If, if I couldn't find that, I think you'd be right in saying, like, you know, <laughs> why why are we listening to this guy? The people that do this, nobody actually nobody actually finds this useful, right? Yeah. And so 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 it's important for us to to do this. I'm defending myself as a as a minority <laughs> idea, but I, I'm absolutely I'm absolutely uh, I'm absolutely sensitive to these issues because because I, I you know I I am in that uh, I am in that position, but uh, I'm out there and I'm I'm um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not just taking my case uh, to non-professionals, non-academics. I'm out there trying to engage with the academic community, engage with the professional community, make the case, and uh, change how we think about this. Yeah, you're not the person who's been pushing an idea that has been tested and failed and nobody liked and is no longer invited to the conferences and everyone says, oh my gosh, th- this person is embarrassing themselves. That's what everyone in your field says, but you're able to sort of swindle podcast hosts into letting you come on and talk yes, to their audiences. Exactly. Which, exactly. which there's you know, plenty of podcasts that do that. They have the fringe people on and they present them as though they're, I won't name any names, but uh, <laughs> they, they present the fringe ideas as though you know, these are reputable people when in fact they're the folks that, you know, couldn't get invited to a dinner with other people in their field. And that's not to say that social, those sorts of social relationships are more important than anything, but they're, they're, they are an indicator of whether someone's ideas have legs or not. Because yeah, if you're talking about the entire, the entire community of the people who do this, you should be able to get at least you know, a fair hearing and some friends in the community if you're uh, if you're going about it in the right way and your ideas have have legs and are coherent. If if you could be the person that proved right, if you could be the person that proved that um, climate change was not man made. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if you actually thought you had the evidence for that and you could show it uh, to a group of professionals and gain any sort of following on that. And I want to be careful here. I want to just state again and again, like climate change is man-made. Yes. It's very serious. Yes. There's an absolute consensus. on. But let's say you were a person and, and somehow you came across evidence that it's not man-made. You, you, if you did that successfully, you would be in the history books, right? Yeah. You would be in the history books. The, the incentives uh, for that, the ins- there are heavy incentives for people to just continue what they're doing in the dominant paradigm. But for a small group of people, especially people that are maybe not invested uh, too much in, in the older institutional uh, structures, but, but who are in the actual discipline, there are also amazing incentives uh, for people to contest that. And, and the reason why we trust things like science is not because we trust scientists. And it's not even that we trust the scientific process as, oh, I come up with a null hypothesis and then I put X into test tubes and do this and so forth. 
That's not why we trust science. There's a great book uh, by Naomi Oreskes, uh, who wrote Merchants of Doubt. She has a great book uh, called uh, Why Trust Science. And, and, uh, and she lays out, I think, a, a convincing argument. The reason we trust science is we've built social structures that in many ways, when they, when they are effective, split the difference between making sure, you know, uh, uh, making sure mm-hmm. that people make informed decisions that do not ignore the history of the fa- past, but also have incentives for people mm-hmm. to produce new ideas. And we have systems, uh, you know, whether they're journals, whether they're conferences, uh, whether they're, um, uh, you know, particular statistical models, we have systems to resolve these debates. We have, you know, again, a, a system of credentialing to help us more easily recognize people who other people have at least thought was worth uh, a person worth listening to, right? And so it's the system as a whole we trust. And does the system fail? Absolutely, it fails. Um, but it actually, over time, it, it does spectacularly better than any one individual person right. at discerning what is true and what is false. And it's because it's, it's rigged up as this as this system of um of these of the system of, of sort of competing goods right yeah um uh and and occasionally we have to go and we have to say hey um you know on this particular issue it's it's not working like we need to uh, like, like you can make the argument sense. that you know the the climate change the the institution of climate change science is you know there are incentives to toe the line of what everyone else is saying yep. right however at the big climate change conference uh, of which there's many people give talks and your talk the incentive is to give a talk that brings a new idea in right if you bring yep. in a brand new big idea that blows everyone's mind you're going to give a lot of talks everyone's going to swarm you at the at the drinks function afterwards you're going to get your shit published you write a book you'll go on the news etc um and so there is an incentive to bring new ideas in but then as you say there's also an incentive just to have a fringe idea like, you know, people who are critical of climate change say, oh, you know, it's this big institution where, you know, everyone is forced to toe the line because that's what, you know, you you don't, don't get tenure unless you say climate change is real or whatever. But the people saying that are usually being paid by the oil industry. There's an incentive to be that thing. person, like, too. When, when you're looking at the lay of the land uh, regarding an issue, uh, what you want to say is, hey, so this is where people fall on the issue. Are there any attributes, right? Are there any attributes that people falling, you know, in this area of the issue share in common? If mm-hmm. that, that if the attribute they share mm. is, hey, you know, everybody that sort of, you know, think of a map as, a, as sort of a two-dimensional space and we sort of place everybody in, 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 we have maybe two axes, right? One is sort of certainty and one is, you know, uh, yes, no, or something on a particular issue. If you look and you say, hey, everybody up here in sort of the, the right upper co- quadrant is funded by oil money. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big warning sign, right? That's a huge <laughs> warning sign. Um, if you look at something, uh, you know, journalism isn't immune to this either. There was a long time where journalists did not take seriously um, um, the, the uh, missing uh, indigenous women and murders among indigenous women. It was, simply was not being covered by the right. mainstream press, right? Um, but it was being covered by indigenous reporters. Now, if you looked at the lay of the land there and you said, hey, is there an epidemic of missing indigenous women, right? And you looked up here and you said, oh, okay, well, actually, the, none of this stuff is being reported there. 
And then you look down here and you said, actually, the people, the reporters in these actual communities, the local indigenous reporters are reporting this. You say, that's an interesting place. That That's an interesting division. I mean, it turns out to be a, a really horrifying division, given what we now know. Uh, but but that sort of pattern where you're you're seeing not only, hey, what's, you know, it's not like everybody takes a vote and we just go with what the vote is. You, you, you want to get a very quick lay of the land, understand where people fall and understand, like you were saying about, about the, uh, about the lab leak thing. One of the things that you're noticing is that the people that are expressing, uh, you know, it, uh, highest on that axis of certainty. And yes, it happened are also a bunch of people who are, um, uh, tend to be engaged in a, a, a sort of a political gamesmanship, right? And tend to, you know tend to be a certain a certain group of people, right? Yeah, they're anti, uh, let's yeah. say anti-China people would be what I feel I've noticed. Yeah, anti. And so what you would say is, look, the certainty here seems to be associated with a particular political valence, right? Yeah. Um, the which makes me think. That maybe maybe a level of uncertainty is 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 warranted here, right? Mm-hmm. If it turns out that as this as this field as as this sort of you know again this sort of two dimensional map of of of, of certainty and um, validity of claim um, pans out, if you start to see the people that are not just the anti-China uh, people uh, moving into a different quadrant relative to certainty or relative to you know, yes or no, as those people move, that would be a really important signal to you, right? And so one of the things, if you want to, I deal mostly with students, we deal with, we're trying to teach them the first two minutes they encounter a document. <laughs> right. But my dream, my dream is to teach a course that is really on just social epistemology, right? How do we look at, um, how do we look at the sort of opinions expressed of a variety of people on claims and read that, like read that, read that like a map to tell us, hey, um, you know, this is what I see interesting about it. And, and when one of those things would be um, if you have a bunch of people who have expressed uncertainty, um, but then you see that group uh, and they're suddenly shifting into certainty on an issue, that's a sign, right? That's a sign yeah. something, is, something is going on in, in paying attention to that. Uh, is important if it's just the uns- if it's just the certain people getting louder, mm-hmm. right? That's not that's not as much of a sign. And so um, that that again goes much deeper than uh, much deeper than SIF. But yeah, my my I uh, I take the map metaphor I should say from Sam Weinberg, who did some of this stuff on lateral reading down at Stanford uh, that inspired a lot of my work. Um, but his he has this analogy in this paper called lateral reading reading less. Uh, in learning more. And I love it. He he says, imagine you're just dropped by parachute into the middle of this unfamiliar landscape. And then you're like, I don't have any food. I got to get to, got to get to a town. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to get, I got to get out. But you don't know where the heck you are. Right. He said, the, the way that most of us act is we just start going in a direction. Right? Yeah. You know, but what we want is we want to understand uh, we want to understand where we are, right? Yeah. And, 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 and then start to, to be a little meth- methodical about that. And, and um, if you extend that metaphor, I think uh, what you really want is you, is you want to kind of have a mental map of, um, 
You know, I'm trying to think of a, I'll give you, there's a, you know, people argue over uh, statin drugs, right? Are we, mm-hmm. you know, are we uh, prescribing too many or uh, too little? And, you know, what, 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 what's, what's the optimum amount of statin drug prescriptions, right? Um, well, you know, again, if, if you land on somebody that's, 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 uh, if you land on somebody that is, if you land in this issue, um, just understanding, Hey, you know, how, how is it laid out? Like, what is, what is, what is sort of off the map in terms of fringe? What's sort of a, a minority? Is the minority research, uh, associated with the pharmaceutical companies or not? Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, um, um, Take your statin drugs if your doctor tells you, by the way. I'm not saying anything. I just <laughs> well, no, pulled that like- I, I, I pulled that out of my head and now I'm thinking, you know, uh people are gonna think I'm saying something about that. But but you know, people have to make these decisions ultimately, right? And and understanding this as something that's a little more than a a, a one a two-dimensional, uh one-dimensional thing. Understanding this is something that is um where you just want to, you want to sort of read the map of the field. Yeah. Like there was this, uh, to bring it back to the lab leak hypothesis, there's a big story about that. <laughs> I, in, I, I, I did. I can't just say I did not anticipate uh, when I came on the show that we'd be talking we were about spending that? this much time talking about, about that. I, oh, I would have prepped very differently. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> no, well no, no, look, no, 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 but that, that, that's okay. I think it's a good example of where there has been a lot of uncertainty in the expert community uh, but it's been not well communicated because the loudest voices have been uh, have been um, yeah. certain voices. Yeah. Well, it's one that I haven't prepped that much for either, but it's but it's something that I've read and been trying to make sense of myself in the last, you know, four or five months. And there was, you know, a big there's a great big long article. And I think it was The Atlantic. I forget uh, on this that like made a bunch of waves and people were very angry about it. It was a really long article. Um, and it was all about making the case for this hypothesis and to bring back around full circle, your recommendation, it would be like, okay, well maybe instead of reading every bit of that article with a fine tooth comb, I mean, read it, but you know, rather than dive into it and look at every single one of its claims, the more important thing to do is scope out and say, okay, this is one position that somebody holds. This is one set of arguments. How do how does the entire field feel about this and where are they clustered and how are the people you know, clustered, like what are their incentives? Where do they come from? How certain are they? Um, So you can get that sort of broader sense before you go and make your evaluation. And then I love this. You don't necessarily need to have an opinion yet. You can just know that now. Now you just know what the consensus of it is. And I love that because I think so much of the time we are too focused on getting to the conclusion and getting to the what then, you know, yeah. I, I mean, this this happens with like I'm going to bring it to a spot that that you're they'll be even more uncomfortable with. <laughs> this happens with me Too allegations. Right. People yeah, are okay. like, I don't know. Did Woody Allen do it or not? And I'm like, you know what? You don't need to be a judge and jury here. You can just know the whole you can just know. Right. You can just hear this is what this person says. This is what this person says. And now you have all that in your head. And now it's up to you. If you want to watch Annie Hall or not, I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? But like you have a sense of like what the overall picture is. You don't need to you don't need to uh, come down and say, here's my opinion on it. You can just have a a survey of here's the dialogue. Um, And that can be really valuable. I think we underrate how valuable that is. So so let me let me sort of take (laughs) yeah, bring it to even more uncomfortable place. But um, 
let, let me take that example because there's something there's something relevant in that example. One of the things we saw early with early Me Too allegations is, you know, an allegation would come out, and then suddenly Hollywood would race to dissociate themselves from this person, right? And everybody would say, look at this, look at this. Everybody, everybody is just one person says something and then everybody is just throwing this person overboard. And what happened almost every time, right? What happened almost every time you learned that actually, no, it wasn't this one allegation that the allegations had been circling Mm -hmm. right around in that community for years and years and years and years, decades in some cases, decades. Right. And so, um, when we think about the, now that this is a, that this, this is a kind of a weird environment because no one's being public about where they stand on, on the issue. But when you actually look at some of the people that are very quickly dissociating themselves from it, one of the things you might be thinking about is, you know, Hey, if Tom Hanks is throwing this person overboard, like, you know, maybe Tom Hanks has some information that, that I don't, right? <laughs> right. You know, you know what I mean? So, so I think, I think, and I'm not bringing SIF to, to, to that sort of thing is, is not something I'm going to I'm going to promote. But one of the things I notice now when these allegations come out is a, is a, is I do notice, uh, you know, when a bunch of people move very quickly on this who have who have knowledge of this person. Um, yeah. I, you know, I read that as a signal. Right. I read that as a signal. And uh, but to your point, too, one of the things you can say is just you can have simply the position. Look, we actually everybody stand back. Let this person tell their story. Yeah. You know, and, and, and do not get in the way of the story. And maybe your position should be that when people try to shut that person telling the yes. story down, stand up and say, no, take a seat. Listen to what this person is saying. That is what we do during this period. Yeah, because and, and that, that doesn't mean you have a position on that. Yeah, people tend to have this tendency to jump to, they say, oh, should, oh, are you, are you going to pronounce them guilty? Are you the jury? And should, are you going to ban them from the entertainment industry? And it's like, no, we don't, I'd, why? And they say that in order to shut down the conversation, in order yeah. to say, don't listen to the allegations. And what I'm saying is, and I think what you're saying is, no, let's listen to them and hold them in our minds. And then we can listen to what the person says in their own defense. And guess what? We're not sitting on a jury. Now we yeah. just know these things and they can influence our behavior. We decide how they can influence, but hearing it out and understanding, you know, that this is, and really holding, this is what this person there's a trick, says. there's a trick being done there, right? There's a trick being done and it's being done actually at the expense of the women uh, and men uh, bringing forward the charges, right? It's being done at their expense. The trick is because we're immediately moving to a decision, that we have to enforce these rules of absolute evidence, right? I mean, that's the that's the that's the the trick that's going on there. Um, and of course, we don't have all the evidence yet. We haven't had the conversation. We're trying to have the conversation to find out, you know, was this a pattern of behavior? Um, you know, what other people experience similar things? And then you you have this other side that's immediately saying, well, you're what you're saying is this. Right. Yeah. You're, you're 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 trying this person in, in sentencing them, you know, and so it's important to think about what you're trying to accomplish uh, with these things. I think you probably you may do yourself a disservice sometimes um, if you start engaging with people on 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 their terms like that. Yeah, right? uh, that that there has to be. I mean, 
you, you have you'll have a situation where supposedly a pattern of behavior has been happening for 10 years and people just want to have a discussion about it for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like that is not that's not an absurd claim. That's not yeah. an absurd request, right? You know, so so I, I do think that um yeah, I, I, uh, I, you know, I, I really want to stress this is not what what SIFT is about at all. But, <laughs> no, no, no. But, well, but, yeah. but, but you but contain I, I think multitudes, you're right. I think Mike. you're right. This idea that this idea that um, to even express a sort of well, that you know, that 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 seems fishy. Like that you have to have ultimate evidence for that at that point. Right? Yeah. As saying, though, as though having the discussion were sentencing, sentencing someone as guilty and yeah. therefore we shouldn't have the discussion. No, we, we're going to have a discussion about it. Like, yeah. let's do it and let's, let's listen and let's observe. And the, and it's okay for that not to result in some sort of, like there's a demand for let's go guilty or innocent at the end, or to take another example with any kind of, lab leak hypothesis, anything like that. It's like, okay, now let, now that you've read the article, decide which yes. do you think it was or not? And it's like, no, yeah. you can hold some uncertainty and still have learned something and still have, you know, that impact your behavior in an interesting way. Okay. Let me uh, end with this question. I, I, I do want to know, again, it feels like a minefield, uh, the, our current media ecosystem, social media, the internet. However, there's so many good things that came with it. We have so many new voices that are heard and there's certain, you know, uh, there, there's, there's debunkings and, and in kinds of information getting out that we're not in the past. Uh, and when we had a more gatekeepy, you know, mass media, media landscape. So do you feel generally optimistic or pessimistic about our new communications world that we live in. Do you think that the, that it's rife with misinformation or do you think that, you know, the internet and all of our digital communication gives us better tools to combat or do you not feel one way or the other? <laughs> I don't want to pin you down. Well, I mean, so we talked about uncertainty and, and, uh, you know, here's one where I'm, I'm uncertain. I mean, we do, you know, people that look over the course of history look at uh, the introduction of other major technologies, you know, the introduction of print uh, being, you know, one of the big analogs. And of course, after print was introduced, um, there were an awful lot of, you know, there was an awful lot of possibilities. There were an awful lot of problems. It was, it was, um, you know, it, was, it, 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 um, it took a while for people to figure out, hey, you know, what do you know what sorts of institutions right what sorts of skills uh what sorts of oversight and 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 gatekeeping if you want to call it that do we need around print and so you start to get um uh you start to get you know publishers people you know publishers start to have reputations right uh people learn to read the reputation of publishers as as a um as a possible indication of the reputation of the published uh, person, uh, you start to have scholarly societies uh, who print, you know, scientific tracts, but then ha- develop ways of having public conversations about the thing the person put out, right? And uh, doing that in public, back and forth. So you develop all these these social uh, mechanisms, and some of them are institutional, some of them are. Um, and some of them are uh, some of them are educational, right? Helping 
people navigate. And you need both. And I think there's a lot, there's, there's still a lot of potential. In, I mean, in, in the, the level of access to the knowledge that we have and uh, um, our ability to get different stories out, to tell yeah. different stories. But um, the technology has run ahead of the institutions and it's run ahead of our intuitions about how to approach it. And in that gap, we're in, uh, you know, we're in a pretty tenuous um, place. Yeah. And so I, I think I think the idea here is is not, um, again, to come back and say not, oh, well, this set of solutions solves and whatever. But I, I do think that we have to try to move it as, as um, you know, as as quickly as makes sense to try to get people the sort of education they need to navigate this new environment and try to figure out what sort of institutional uh, changes, oversight, um, just even accountability. What's, 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 what's a person's accountability in this, in this new environment where everybody is suddenly a publisher but is not generally held to publishing accountability, right? Uh, we need, we need to, we need to, we need to start, <laughs> we need to get to some of those answers um, as, as quickly as we can while still, you know, uh, not, you know, shutting down the discussion. Yeah. Well, and, and educating people and creating a culture of, uh, you know, of people who are able to think through these things and have, you know, the right defense mechanisms and the right habits to help them sort through the incredible amount of information is going to be incredibly key. And I, I thank you for doing that work and for coming on to talk to us about it. Okay. My pleasure. Well, thank you once again to Michael Caulfield for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you did, hey, please leave us a rating or review wherever you subscribe. It really does help us out. And more importantly, tell a friend or family member about the show. Share it with a loved one. That is the way that you can pay it forward, both to me and to the friend who you'll be giving the gift of Factually to. I want to thank our producers, Kimmy Lucas and Sam Roudman, our engineer, Andrew Carson, Andrew WK for our theme song, the incredible folks at Falcon Northwest Gaming PCs for building me the wonderful gaming PC that I'm recording this very episode on. You can watch me stream video games and whatnot at twitch.tv slash Adam Conover. By the way, right now, uh, and maybe still when you're listening, if you listen to this in a couple months, maybe I'll still be doing it, but right now as this comes out, I am hosting a live stand-up comedy show every Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific. You can find it at twitch.tv slash Adam Conover. I bring some of the greatest comics from around the world straight to my Twitch stream. Uh, you can find me anywhere else to get your social media at, at Adam Conover. You can find my website, my mailing list at adamconover.net. And that is it for us this week on Factually. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.